0: One day, eight-year-old Melissa comes and asks a really important question to her mom. She says, Mommy, I've been thinking about this. I'm a little confused. Where do human beings come from? How did people first appear on earth? And that's a very good question the mother answers. And it's a very simple answer because in the beginning, God made Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had children. Their children had children. And that's how mankind, that's how humankind began. So Melissa heard her mother's answer, and she wanted to ask her father the same question. Daddy, how did we first, as humans, appear on Earth? And her dad answers, it's a very intelligent question, Melissa. You see, millions of years ago, there were monkeys. And from those monkeys, eventually, the human race evolved. And now she was a little confused. And she goes back to her mother, and she says, Mommy, I don't understand. How come you told me that the human race comes from God? But Daddy says that we come from monkeys. And so, of course, her mother answers, Darling, the answer is very simple. I told you about my side of the family, and your father told you about his. (laughs) Anyway, I thought it was a good opener for uh, this week's Torah reading that speaks about God's creation of Adam and Eve, and then placed into the Garden of Eden. Famously, God tells Adam not to eat from that one tree. You can eat from all of the trees in the Garden of Eden, but not from that one tree, the Eitz Hadat, Tov V'ra, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now Rabbi Soloveitchik asks a couple of fundamental questions. First of all, he wants to know, what is the nature of the knowledge obtained from this tree? Was it good or was it bad? On one hand, the knowledge the Torah tells us explicitly was going to give you a knowledge and understanding of good from evil. On the other hand, The Torah also says that after they ate from the tree of knowledge, Adam and Eve realized that they were naked, that somehow the the tree gave them some sort of wisdom into something physically base and almost demeaning about themselves, because it says that they were embarrassed. Now, they were always naked. You know, it's not like all of a sudden they, you know, had clothing and they lost their clothing. They were always not wearing clothing. So what was it about the tree of knowledge that made them aware of their nakedness, of which they were all along? So that's question number one. Question number two is, if the tree was so great, as the Torah says Eve believed it was, then why did God withhold the tree from them in the first place? If it was so awesome, it would give them the knowledge of what was good or evil then why would God want to keep it from them? And number three asks Rabbi Soloveitchik, if Adam was not supposed to eat from the tree, then how could he have gained from doing so? Right? <clears throat> the Torah says that if you eat from this, you'll know good from bad. But if they weren't supposed to eat from it, why would they be rewarded? That's like saying to some kid, you know, uh, don't do this, and if you do this, I'm going to give you a prize. So the answer to all of these questions has to do, says Rabbi Soloveitchik, with our emotions. What essentially, Adam and Eve acquired through eating from the Eitz Hadat, from the Tree of Knowledge, was a new role for their emotions. And he's basing his opinion here on the great Ramban Nachmanris, who believed that before Adam and Eve were created, they were like almost malachim, like angels. They were basically naturally intuited towards following God's will, to serve Hashem, their entire essence, Adam's entire intellect and emotions were exclusively identified with following God's will. And after the sin, their emotions began to drive their actions. They began to develop their own sense of desires and agendas, some of which would lead them to following God's will, and some not. Some constructive, some self-destructive. Rabbi Salveitschik explained that after eating from the tree of knowledge, our emotions became neutral. Initially, they were all, like everything about Adam and Eve, was geared totally exclusively towards their connection to God. But after the sin, those emotions were neither good nor evil. They just became neutral. And this explains how the Mishnah, the oral tradition, explains the opening verse of the Shema. What do we say after, Hero Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, Shema Yisrael HaShem Elokecha Echad. We say, havta et HaShem Elokecha b'chol levavcha. And you will lo- love the Lord your God with all your soul. What does it mean to love HaShem with all of your, not your soul, b'chol levavcha, with all your heart? What does it mean to love God with all your heart? The Mishnah says, "Bishne Yitzircha, with both of your inclinations, B'yetzir Tov, with your good inclination, U'b'yetzir Hara, with your evil inclination. Now I get serving God with my good inclination, but what does it mean to serve God with your evil inclination? How do you serve God with your evil inclination? You do battle with your evil inclination. You subdue your evil inclination so the good inclination can come out. But what does it mean to serve Hashem with your evil inclination? So this is exactly what this is talking about. The Yetzirah, the evil inclination, is not intrinsically evil. It's just an energy force that you can lead, that can lead us to engage in positive behaviors or negative behaviors. But it doesn't have to go one way or the other. It's a force that governs our drives, our aspirations, and our ambitions. And specifically, says Rabbi Salvechik, our creativity. The part of us that's creative, that's ambitious, that's driven, that's the Yetzirah. The question is how do we use it? How do we channel that that energy? Can we channel it somehow, our artistic ambitions and and our emotions? Can we channel it to somehow connect ourselves with God? Or is it going to sort of run amok on its own? And when God says we should love Hashem, it means to love Him with every aspect of who we are. And so He gives an example. If you're, if you're artistic, are you using your... Um, your talent to adorn mitzvot, to create what's called in Hebrew, hidur mitzvah, to make beautiful the mitzvot? If you're musical, are you using that to enhance your prayers? If you have a good sense of humor, this is my own example, are you using that to lift people's spirits when they're down? And so to answer the original questions offered by Rabbi Salveitchik, the knowledge that was gained from that tree of knowledge was positive in the sense that it gave Adam and Eve the potential to use their emotions for the good. But the fruit also made them aware of their nakedness, which is another way of saying that it gave them the capacity to misuse their emotions and to allow themselves to be led astray by them too. And that's why there's no violation of what's called in Hebrew Chote nischar, giving a reward for someone who sins, of benefiting from an illicit activity, since the knowledge of Adam and Eve received from the forbidden fruit wasn't a reward per se. It was a power to channel all their energies towards their avodas Hashem, their service of Hashem. And finally, this is why God prohibited originally that tree from man, even though it offered something so positive, because the knowledge they received from this forbidden fruit was not intrinsically good. It would depend on how they would channel it and were they up for it. Are we up for it? Our emotions are not inherently good. And they're not inherently bad. It just depends on what actions they drive. If they motivate us to do something the Torah promotes, something the Torah sees as connecting us with God, then they're good. If they compel us to do something which the Torah forbids and which will create distance between ourselves and Hashem, then they're not good. Compare this, or really contrast it, to Christianity Rabbi Salveitchik taught. Other philosophies also, not just Christianity, which believe that emotions are always good or bad, that they can't go both ways. Like love, love in certain philosophies is are always a good emotion. Hate always bad. Judaism does not agree with this. Judaism believes that sometimes love is good, but not all the time. Loving the right people, wrong people could be really destructive, and also hate. Hate sometimes, as far as the Torah is concerned, depending on the situation, is also an appropriate emotion. It could be bad if it's against a fellow Jew who's innocent, but if it's against a tyrant like Hitler, then that's a good thing, actually. The correct response to Hitler was hate and indignation, and emotions are necessary in order to be able to oppose evil tyrants like a Hitler. And that's in part, says Rabbi Solveditchik, Why Christianity reacted so poorly to the Holocaust? Why, asks the Rav, would someone like Albert Schweitzer, an influential German theologian and physician, recipient of the 1953 Nobel Prize, why would he not protest against Nazism? And the answer is because he believed that the emotion of hate is always bad. Love, always good, even when it's directed at something evil. Judaism believes emotions are neutral, and therefore they can be employed for the good and for the bad. Use this example, nuclear science, right? If you used a power plant, a nuclear power plant, it can provide cheap and clean energy, but it can also devastate an innocent population. It just depends on how that force is employed. The same is true of our emotions. And this is difficult because in our society, I think, we are trained to believe in our emotions, to go with our emotions. If you're feeling something, go with it. If you're not feeling something, don't go with it. And that is not entirely a Torah perspective. We see this a lot in romantic relationships. Two people fall in love, they have this tremendous chemistry and emotional connection, but they're not good for each other. They bring out the worst in each other, right? Their values are not aligned. Now in our society, we're taught basically, chuck the values, Forget about what you're thinking. Just follow the heart. Listen to your heart. Listen to your heart. I can't sing it. It's a great song, but it's not really what the Torah is teaching us because our emotions tell us a lot of things. We get lots of feelings. How do we know which feelings to follow and which feelings to, I don't want to say suppress, but kind of try to channel differently? And that is, of course, where are those feelings leading us? What actions are those feelings propelling us to take. That's the reason we were given a Torah, as a guide to know desirable from undesirable behavior. So we can ultimately know when to go with a certain drive and emotion and when we need to channel it a little differently. And I'll end with a story, I'll never forget this, at the very beginning of MGE, you know we have 377 matches. That's pretty impressive. 24 years, people who met through MGE First couple I ever met. I'm not going to mention their name. And it was back literally in 1998 when we first started. This couple met at our first kickoff Shabbat dinner. And they had this amazing connection. They fell in love. And after about a year to two years, some time there, they got engaged. And in all that time, the woman was beginning to draw closer to Torah, to mitzvot, to her Judaism to a life of religious observance. But the guy had no interest. I actually knew him from my childhood in Queens. Good guy, but not spiritually oriented, not, did not see the value in living a life of Torah and mitzvot. And every time during their engagement, she brought up topics like Shabbat. Let's do a little Shabbos or maybe a little Kashrut or one day when we have children, if God blesses us, we'll send them to a Jewish day school. He became completely cold to her whenever he brought up those topics. They tried getting some couples therapy. I remember I met with them. He simply was not open to living that kind of life. And she was becoming more and more religiously committed. And I remember I was standing with her downstairs in this building. And we were talking. And and, and she said, Rabbi, I know if I marry this guy, he's a good guy. But we're not going to have a religious life. We're not going to have Shabbos. Our kids are not going to be raised in the ways of Torah and mitzvot. And I said to her, I can't tell you what to do, but I can tell you one thing for sure. You need to be true to yourself. You need to be true to the path that you are starting to follow. And then she asked me a really important question. She said, you need to be true to myself. Which part of myself? The part of me that really loves him? Or the part of me that's falling in love with Judaism? My head is saying one thing, My heart is telling me something else. Now again, every movie we've ever seen, every book we've ever read, every song we've ever heard has told us, listen to your heart. But sometimes, my friends, that could be the biggest mistake. That's allowing our emotions to take us in the wrong direction. It's great when our heart and our minds are aligned. Nothing better. No conflict. Life would certainly be a lot easier. And that was always the case and the way things were before Adam and Eve ate from that forbidden fruit when every aspect of who they were was devoted to God. But after they ate from that tree of knowledge, conflicts began within us. And they exist within us to this day. Our our head tells us one thing, our heart tells us something else. The trick is taking a step back, getting a little perspective, speaking with a spiritual mentor, so that your emotions do not completely overwhelm you. And then a few years later, you're left wondering, what did I do? What was I thinking? because the heart often speaks louder than the head. And if we want to live a life based on principles, based on beliefs, based on meaning and purpose, and not simply on feelings, we have to also pay attention to what we're thinking and not just what we're feeling. Good ending. The woman broke up with her fiance. That's not the good part. It was hard for her in those next few months until she met somebody else, and she did. And just a few weeks ago, I bumped into her on the street and she was walking with her kids. And you can see they were living a life devoted to the Torah, to mitzvot. She remained true to herself, not just her feelings, but to her path and to the life goals that she was starting to believe in. And so the next time your heart and your mind don't see eye to eye, my blessing to all of you and to to myself as I speak, as we all have these conflicts, is to ask ourselves, what's the right thing here? It may not always feel like the right thing. could even feel like just the opposite sometimes. But if that decision is allowing you to remain true to who you are, to the vision that the Torah sets for us, then it's the right decision. May God bless all of us with the faith and the strength to stay true to that vision. And please, God, in doing so, find the kind of joy and happiness that can only come from living a life of purpose and meaning.